forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Mike is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. So I'm driving home from the movie theater from Sorry to Bother You. And I was going to do a first impression of this, and maybe I'll post this, but I'm just trying to get my thoughts down. Because I really don't know what to make of this movie. And... I... I... I there's, there's no way I can do a first impression of this. Because I'm just trying... Because I have to do research into this. There's, there's, so, there's so much going into that movie. So... I... I don't know. I don't. I don't really know how to process this right at like right after it. So, I'm, the the movie. I don't. The movie had me for the first maybe like three fourths of the movie, but the last like half hour of the movie definitely lost me. Like I, I can't. At the end of the movie, like I I feel like the beginning of the movie to like the hour and or maybe like the. 80, 70 or 80 minute mark, the film definitely had, like, a more clear message or theme of what it was getting at, and honestly, I, I was, I was really digging it up until this point, um, I guess, I'm gonna be talking about spoilers, I guess, in, in the review, so, right when, the movie lost me, right when they introduced the horse people, or the, the whole horse people workers idea, and I, I, I'm really struggling to understand where that fits into this theme of, like, I, I don't know, I really like the idea of, like, this, this black man who starts off at, the, at, like, the really low, you know, forming, like, be, like and then he, he, like, is kind of, like, selling himself out, he's hiding his true self with his white voice, and then the white voice starts becoming more ingrained in his actual, uh, you know, his actual saying and his lifestyle, that he, that he's starting to, he can't really determine, like, he starts using the white voice, white voice, and he doesn't even, he even says, I don't know that I was even doing it, like, it's just, it's just kind of second nature, I like that idea of, like, kind of conforming to this culture that he doesn't really think he belongs to, but, and he, and he does it at first just to try and get money and make ends meet, but then it turns into something bigger than that. And and then kind of going against his friends, and, and as they saw it, call it selling out and betraying them. I think that's a really interesting concept that the film was, like, really going strong on. And But then the horse people got introduced. And I, I have to admit, I was really confused, because this movie reminds me a lot of Swiss Army Man in that the, in just the theme of just, like, kind of embracing the craziness of the film, um, now, Sorry to Bother You is not as, well, I mean, I, I would say it's not as insane as Swiss Army Man is, but it definitely is, you know, close for some of the things, I mean, yeah, the visuals are, like, pretty unique and make, make the film, like, stand apart, but just, you know, once the, the story gets really progressing, you're like, what the fuck? So, I, I, at first I thought it was, they were going to start attacking, like, unions and things like that, that's what I thought these horse people were going to do, I, I, I'm, like, so 
I, I'm really just conflicted of what to think about this movie. Um, I guess just going off the first impression, I, I really liked the, obviously the style of it, you know, drawing those parallels to Swiss Army Man by the Daniels, and that was, I think, 2015, uh, I, I really like the surrealist nature of it, just kind of embracing it for what it is, because uh, the movie doesn't really, it just kind of throws you into that kind of style, and, and from the trailers, I kind of got that, which is what I was expecting to like the most, um, and I did, I didn't think I got nearly as much of the stuff that I thought I was going to get, but that's fine, because the movie's still, like, pretty wild, um, I, like I said, I like the themes that the first, like, the first, like, 75% of the movie cover of just, like, oh, you have a white voice, and you're kind of, like, you're kind of embracing something that you're not a part of, and, and I like the idea that, like, uh, as he goes to, like, the top floor, it's, oh, white voice only, and then characters are saying, like his girlfriend's character saying, oh, you have a white voice, like, that's not you, I don't like that, but then she has her, I, she has her own white voice, uh, when she's, like, she's an artist, so she, she has, like, a, a British, like, higher, I guess, it's, it's like a fancier British, um, persona, not persona, but, like, her, that's her white voice, and, and I was like, wow, that's, like, kind of interesting, but I didn't really feel like it really went anywhere, um, with that, but I, I just feel like, at the end of the day, there was so much that this movie was trying to get across, and I feel like it should have, now this is my first impression, hopefully, I, once I do some research and read some reviews, because I went into this film completely blind, I knew that people liked it, um, because I think the film's been out for, like, two months at this point, or just, yeah, around two months, and so I was the only one in the theater, and... I just knew people had liked it, and, and that it was, it was like a critical success, but, oh man, so I know there's gotta be reviews and stuff out there, but, so hopefully when I get a better understanding of hopefully what the filmmakers are trying to get across, I'll, I'll like, I'll appreciate the film, but like right now, after just getting out of the movie 20 minutes ago, I, I, I'm definitely perplexed. And I don't know what to think about the movie. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. So, I mean, there is definitely that. I definitely... I mean, I thought the, the lead performances were really strong. Um, I, 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 like I said, I like the style of the film. It was, it was very confident. I just... And it, it was a very tight script. Up until the horse people are introduced. So... I... I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one, guys. So I, I thought I was gonna do a first impression, but let's. Uh, I'm gonna do a full episode. Let's get into it. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me on this episode of Amateur Autours. You can follow us on Twitter at AutoursPod, or drop us a line at theamateurautourspodcast at gmail.com. Now, before we get into this week's episode, it would be greatly appreciated if you, the listener, could leave a quick rating and review of the show on whatever platform you listen. The feedback is much appreciated, and it helps us figure out ways to improve the show for you guys. 
So with the plugs out of the way, this week's episode is unique because this film has been on my mind constantly since I stepped out of the movie theater. Now for those of you who follow us on Twitter, you may have seen a tweet that I had seen the film on Friday, August 31st, uh, 2018, and I've been thinking of nothing but this film since the time of this recording a few days later. Now that film is Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is a rapper-turned-director Boots Riley's attempt at conveying prevalent social themes in an absurdist yet satirical manner. This film has been on my radar since the first trailer was released, but due to a busy schedule, I saw the film a little bit later than anticipated, which is fine, because I think that seeing this film at a later date has helped me on my research of this film, as well as processing it. Now you see guys, now I don't want to show my hand too much, but I had no idea, and kind of still don't know at this very moment, how to process this film. In other words, I'm having trouble determining if I liked it or not. Now, initially, I was only going to do a first impressions of the film, and hopefully when Brian saw it, we would do a more in-depth review and analysis. But after seeing it, man, did I realize that I needed to do a little bit more research and actually write my ideas and interpretations down. So I recorded my initial thoughts and attached them to the beginning of this episode, and I want to preface that those thoughts are solely my initial ones, literally right out of the gate. I think I had recorded that like on my way home, and it was like 15 minutes after I'd seen the movie, and I think that shows in my voice, but after sitting down all weekend and, and thinking critically and reading many different viewpoints and interpretations, I feel like I have a better understanding of the film all around. So let's start with a brief plot summary. Our protagonist, Cassius Green, feeling unfulfilled, depressed, and in need of some fast money, takes a job as a telemarketer. Through the job, he learns of a hidden talent that lies within himself, and utilizing this talent, he soars to the top of the company. Now, making some serious cash, Cassius is, he gains the attention of company owner Steve Lift, who has a brilliant scheme that he thinks Cassius is the man to pull it off. So guys, right off the bat, Per usual, let's talk style of the film, because it really complements the themes extremely well, as well as making this film distinct from others with similar messages. In my first impressions, I mentioned a particular film that I kept being reminded of throughout Sorry to Bother You, and that film is one we've talked about on the show before, Swiss Army Man. Now, I don't want to say one did it better than the other, because these are these films are both drastically different, and they both use the absurdist imagery and style in a completely different way. But I will say I love all of this, this style. This unique blend of surrealism and absurdism is what turned me on to this film in particular, and I think it's the strongest selling point for the film. Sorry to Bother You fully embraces its weirdness and makes it part of its identity. Obviously, there is the whole concept of the white voice, which is really great, but let's hold on to that idea for a little bit later on, because I'm going to discuss that when we start talking about the themes of the film. But there is stylistic genius of, of Riley throughout the whole film. So, for instance, take how Riley shows the interactions between the telemarketers and the person on the phone. Instead of cutting back and forth between separate locations, Riley literally drops the characters directly into the homes and locations that they are calling the people. It's this touch that adds an interesting flair and, and strange visual because Cassius seems to be aware of what's going on and even interacts with the new environments a few times, but also drives home this idea that the telemarketers are invading people's spaces. Paired with this, 
My favorite segment is when Cassius's home literally transforms around him from this low-income garage setting to a high-end apartment. It's also visually stimulating and interesting, and it's moments like these that make the film really awesome, and in some limited cases, exceptional. If I was reviewing this film solely on a visual flair and style, it's easily a 10 out of 10. But that being said, visual style is only a fragment of the criteria. Let's get into the meat of the conversation, my favorite parts, the themes. So right away, I took Sorry to Bother You as another film about the black experience in America, specifically in relation to corporate America. So like I said in the brief plot summary, Cassius Green starts from the very bottom of the bottom and works his way through the corporate ladder. Now before going any further, let's break down Cassius' name, for it's literally the first thing to help give evidence to this corporate America theme. So let me ask you guys, what does Cassius Green sound like? Cassius Green. Cash is green. Ayo, and now it's not exactly subtle when you hear it aloud, and I must admit, I'm not the first one to pick up on this, and it was nice to see that my thoughts were backed with others, but it's pretty telling about how Boots Riley thinks corporations view its workers as a means to an end, not people, only profit. Now getting back to the narrative, what's most interesting is that Cassius is only able to climb the hierarchy of the company because he learns to harness the power of his quote-unquote white voice. Now, the white voice is described in the movie, as well as in other reviews that I've read, as the idea that the white voice is the quote-unquote carefree or a more relaxed version of your own voice. Now, right off the bat, and especially as the film goes on, I don't buy this for a second, because the meaning is way more literal than that. Cassius has begun his journey of assimilating into a culture that he is not part of, nor does it want to accept him. Now, what I mean by this, let's let's look at some scenes to hopefully explain this idea. So number one, the top callers. You could you could only use your white voice only. That is literally said the first thing uh, Cassius when he walks into the, the top floor. Now it's here that Cassius is unable to use his voice as I mentioned. And he's even reminded so while he's up on that top floor making calls. And now it's here that Cassius' identity is being directly attacked. Now with this in mind, let's focus on Steve's party. This is more towards the end of the film, or like maybe the like the beginning of the third act. This segment really hits home that the white establishment does not want to accept Cassius. So this is a different, like, he's viewed as a commodity to the party. So when he's in the scene introduced, Steve says to him, lose the white voice. Have you ever busted a cap in anyone's ass? And, and rap, 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 we want you to rap. And so it's here that Cassius is literally displayed in a room full of white people. They are, I, they are, all either standing or sitting comfortably, but meanwhile, Cassius has to sit on the floor in front of every, in front of all of them with a, like kind of like a spotlight on them. It's like a twisted pet, or like he's a performing monkey. Now, going into the rap that he is forced to make, it's so comically true because Cassius just chants endlessly to the beat. Now, I'm not gonna say the word that he says, but we all. We all know what it is. All of all of us that have seen the film, we all know what he says. Now it's racial slur, shit. Racial slur, shit. Now, Bo- now this is obviously Boots Riley's opinion of how white people listen to rap, and honestly, it's so painfully true. Now, 
there's another there's the other point that they're laughing at him at the party and despite him being the most successful caller of the company now when i i don't mean that they're laughing with him i what i mean what i said they are laughing at him and there's also interestingly the character of mr character literally this character sacrifices his identity for the company he is only known by his white voice and he d and the audience doesn't even know his name and it's just <laughs> poor mr because he it's mr his character is kind of representing what cassius could become and i think that's i think he's a very interesting character to study but as you can tell, and as I've been saying, Cassius is trying to fit into this white-collar, nudge-nudge-wink-wink society, but they have no intention of actually accepting him. They view him more of a commodity, as I've been saying, or the token black man, if you will. This idea of failure to assimilate is even stronger when paired with the what-does-it-mean-to-be-black-or-white scene in the bar earlier in the film. Now, see, I took this scene as representing that it's these arbitrary connotations that groups consider their own and it's a social taboo to practice or participate in something not deemed acceptable to your quote-unquote culture. The example given in this context is food. Now that is something that is deeply rooted in culture. Now Cassius describes his method of making pasta in that he mixes the pasta, sauce, and cheese into one mixture. Funny enough, this is exactly what I do. But um, after him defending his own actions, he essentially says it means fuck all because pasta is white, which is then followed by actually noodles are Chinese. The whole point of the scene is that these connotations do not matter in the slightest. Or do they? I think this scene perfectly cues the audience into another theme, the theme focusing on the struggle of a minority trying to be successful, but then it comes at the price of so-called selling out and forgetting your roots, which is then brought into full light when Cassius becomes successful while his friends remain at the bottom. These are all extremely interesting con uh, conflicts that minorities face in reality, culture and identity in a world dominated by stereotypes. So another interesting concept that I want to kind of briefly touch on is the idea how Cassius embraces his white voice, or how the white voice becomes Cassius's identity. So let me explain. The white voice slips into his everyday life and colloquialisms, and he begins not to notice this, like it's second nature. And it's interesting to assert that the assimilation is working on Cassius, and it's, it's, it's an ongoing process that's actually happening. So, what, however, what makes it even better is that his girlfriend, Detroit, is vocally against the white voice. She essentially claims that he is selling out and forgetting his true identity, and that the white voice embodies this assertion. But what's most interesting about this is that at Detroit's own art installation, during her big performance, Detroit has a white voice of herself. Now, Quick note about the scene, I found myself having a difficult time getting into the moment because the dubbing is kind of shitty and subpar here. It's not 100% in sync and it's kind of distracting when it's not in sync. So, and I'm sorry, it's a small point, but I had to bring it up. But this whole idea that Detroit has her own white voice while herself damning and uh, condemning Cassius's use of a white voice is interesting. Although, as I mentioned in the first impression, I feel like it's never really explored, which is a shame, because there's some really poignant and powerful commentary going on in that scene, but it's never really, you know, in my opinion, brought up again. All in all, these themes are what make the film really strong, and made me go along and love the first.
like half of the film. But but then <sighs> but then the last half hour of the film happens. So before I get into it, I just want wanted to say that the ending quote unquote twist has been polarizing for a lot of people. Before sitting down to record this episode, I was taking a look at the Reddit discussion forum about this film, and it seems to have a solid mix of people that praise the ending and people who really didn't like it. I'm obviously on the end of not liking it, although that doesn't mean I don't see the merit of it, I just don't think it works narratively and like thematically. Ultimately, I feel like Riley is dumping a lot on the audience at the end, and the messages, in my opinion, don't really jive and fit into the purpose of the film. So, I didn't mention the company of Worry-Free yet. So essentially, Worry-Free is a slave labor company under the guise of Worry-Free living in exchange for work. Steve Lift, who is played really well by the awesome Army Hammer, is the head CEO and brings Cassius in because he is both a top-ranking salesman, but also because he is really awesome, and that's in the quote. And I mentioned this part in the plot summary, but I stopped here. So from here, at this point... We, the audience, get this whole convoluted plot about how Steve wants to make his slave labor even more effective by turning them into horseman hybrids. It's precisely at this moment that the film begins to lose me. And the big problem is I'm having trouble figuring out how the fuck this fits into the idea of a black man assimilating into a culture that has no intention of accepting him. And we'll get into that in a moment. So Steve Lift proposes that Cassius turns into a horse and this will allow Cassius to kind of infiltrate this this whole potential uprising of these horsemen. Steve also kind of spins this as a way that it's it's Cassius can actually take control of his life for once in his life and he can and he can lead a revolution instead of standing idly by. So Cassius will become the MLK of the horse people, as Steve Lift proclaims. Now, I see and understand why an idea like this is in this film, but I don't think it's a particularly good one, because I don't like the idea that it l- took a literal physical transformation into a horse hybrid from for Cassius to become a leader. And... Sure, it would be one thing if the horse people are viewed as freaks and outcasts, because Cassius identifies as an outcast. And sure, okay, I can see that. But the problem is, though, is that these horsemen aren't viewed as freaks, at least when they're when the public sees them. So when they save the day at the picket line, there are no screams of terror or, like, get out or whatever. Instead, we get the thank you for saving us. So, okay, what's the problem here? At the introduction of these horsemen, I thought they were going to be, like the new minority group that people uh, demonize and and attack just for being different. And I thought, but they didn't go that route. And so I don't really understand what the problem is. But another thing is that I don't, I also don't like Steve Lift's sudden, even richer, like his, because of eugenics. Like, okay, I get it. I have to accept that this movie is a bit crazy and satirical, but this universe was not, established to have fucking idiots with no ethics. This is not the world of idiocracy, where this shit would be accepted by mindless corporate zombies. No, this whole thing to me is just like kind of being crazy for shock value and subverting expectations. Yeah, okay, whatever. I don't buy it. So I didn't really like that. But ultimately, I 
don't see how this really factors into the premise that I've been pulling from the film of the black experience in America, especially in regards to corporate America. Sure, I guess it hammers home some of Steve Lift. Sure, I guess it hammers home that Steve Lift only sees Cassius as another pawn in his game of corporate domination. He wants to use Cassius to quell any rebellion, I guess? I think this ultimately brings me to my main problem with the film, as well as other reviewers that had with this, is that as genius as Boots Riley is in his style and his complex story, his inexperience as a screenwriter and director really shows here. It's because it feels like he has so many ideas and themes that he wants to get down in one go, and instead of picking and choosing a few to use in this film, he doubles down and throws everything in all at once. And the ending result is that the film feels more random than planned in the delivery of its messages and themes. And it's a shame that I'm saying this about a film that I thought was otherwise pretty solid. It's just that the last half hour really takes me out and, and really is kind of damning for me. So, to get my closing thoughts and recommendations down... Despite the last 30 minutes or so, Sorry to Bother You was a great effort from Boots Riley. I think there is something for many different film lovers to see here. There's the visual flair, it's nothing short of great, and the acting is top-notch. But the story and pacing could use work. I really like the idea of focusing on corporate America, but Riley needs to just pick one theme to focus on, not including multiple ideas that are sort of, kind of fleshed out and linked together. It's with everything that I mentioned today that I'm going to give Sorry to Bother You a 6.5 out of 10. It's a solid and fun film and a great debut, but it needs some work. But that being said, guys, don't please don't take it that I'm saying you shouldn't see the film, because I am saying the exact opposite. Go see this film. If you have a different opinion than me, let me know, guys. I really want to have this dialogue, because I, from my group of friends, I'm the only one that's seen it, and I haven't really had, and I've been wanting nothing more than to just discuss this film. So, guys, if you have a different opinion than me, I want to hear it. Just reach out to me on, in the plugs in the beginning, I'm going to put them in the post show, like, please reach out to me, I want to hear your thoughts. But with that, guys, that concludes this episode of Amateur All Tours. As always, please feel free to reach out to us on any platform convenient to you, whether that's Gmail, Twitter, I think we're still on Instagram. But also, it would mean the world to both Brian and I if you could just leave a review, a star rating, or both. The feedback is always welcome, and we always want to improve the show in whatever way we can. So thank you to everybody tuning in and listening, and as always, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Amateur All Tours. Cover design was created by Sarah Jacobs. You can find more of her work at her own website, Digital Adventures. The opening theme, Dreams, is composed by Joachim Karid. This composition was found using a Creative Commons search. As a small plug, go check out both Sarah and Joachim's work. They are really great and deserve the attention. If you want to drop us a line, which we full-heartedly support, please feel free to contact us at our email, theamateurautorspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is one word. You can also find us at Twitter at amateurautorspod. Once again, thank you for supporting the show. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thank you once again. Thank you.